Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis 32, verses 24 through 30. So Jacob went, was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. This is the word of the Lord for us. Do you ever have anything coming up on your schedule that you're just dreading? You've got the date circled. You know, maybe it's that dentist appointment. <laughs> maybe it is that performance review with your boss. Maybe it's that speech that you have to give, that presentation. And you know it's coming and the days are counting down, but you're just dreading it. For some of you, it's winter in Ohio. <laughs> uh, some of you are flying south for the winter. God bless you. Um, but the, you know it's coming. There's nothing you can do about it. It almost like it makes it worse. You would rather it just pop up all of a sudden, but it's, it's almost in the anticipation. It's, it's, it's inching closer and closer, something you dread, and it makes it work. It's like, for me, it's like, just spring it on me. Just tell me 10 minutes beforehand. Don't, you know, spare me all of that dread. It's the anticipation that really drives me crazy. So this morning, as we follow the saga of the life of Jacob, this biblical patriarch, we're going to see... He's got one of those events coming up. It's on the calendar, it's looming, and it's inching closer, and it is the reunion with Esau. So if you've been tracking with us in this story, or if you're familiar with the life of Jacob, you know that things went really sour with his twin brother Esau to the point of Esau breathing out murderous threats and Jacob fleeing for 20 years. We spent time there last week. Well, so he's got it circled on his calendar because things that he's burned the bridge with Uncle Laban in Haran. He's coming back home, and who's home but Esau? And so he is, he is dreading this reunion with his brother. And it's in this place, it's in that context, as we'll see, we'll get into the scriptures, that he wrestles with God. The story that Cammie read for us a few moments ago, Genesis 32, Jacob wrestling with God. Why was he so desperately clinging to this man who turns out to be a representation of God, saying, you must bless me, you must bless me? It's because he was about to meet Esau, and he was terrified. So we're going to see that through that encounter, God forever changes him. In fact, he's no longer Jacob. He gets a name change. So that's what we're going to look at together this morning. So let me introduce myself. My name is John. I serve as lead pastor here at MCA thrilled to see each and every one of you here today. And I'm praying that through our time together, your heart and home grow stronger in the Lord. So we're going to see here in the life of Jacob that it continues to be dysfunctional. So as I studied and prepared for preaching on the life of Jacob, there was one word that jumped out over and over again, and it was dysfunction. Jacob is dysfunctional. So we're going to see today Jacob wrestling with or struggling with God. But he's also wrestling with his past mistakes. He's also wrestling with his fear. He's wrestling with his identity. So there's way more than just a wrestling match with God in this whole narrative. And we're going to see then that he comes face to face with his brother Esau. And I can't wait to see and share what happens there. 
But through this all, we're going to see that Jacob learns a valuable lesson about the transformative power of God. He learns about God's power and God's ability to change. So uh, if you have your Bible with you today, let's turn together to Genesis 32. We're going to see that Jacob is, he's heading for home. So let's start right at the top of the chapter. So verse 1. This is right on the heels of Jacob and Laban sort of agreeing to part ways. They set up a heap and say, this is kind of the boundary stone. My side, your side. Don't cross it. And so Laban says, I'm making the track. I'm going back home. So we're Genesis chapter 32, starting in verse 1. It says, Jacob also went on his way. So goodbye to Laban. I'm going to turn and go. And the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God and named the place Mahanaim. And if you remember, the last time Jacob was home, as he was on his way to Laban, what happened? But he saw angels, the stairway to heaven, angels ascending and descending. They're here again. This time there's no stairway. This time they're not going up and down. They have an encampment. The, the language that's used here, like in the original Hebrew, is so where he says this is the camp of god it is the language for an army encampment he's saying this is a place where god's heavenly forces god's heavenly host god's army are dwelling so let's keep reading we're in genesis 32 verse 3 it says jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother esau in the land of seir the country of edom he instructed them this is what you are to say to my lord esau Your servant Jacob says, I've been staying with Laban and I've remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. And now I'm sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. So he knows that Esau is going to hear of his return. And so he decides, I'm just going to get ahead of this situation. I'm going to send messengers, send some of my servants to kind of feel out the situation. So he very carefully instructs them on what they are to say. He's either to use this language, and you can look again there very very, uh, carefully, that refers to Jacob as servant and Esau as Lord. (laughs) And if you remember when uh, he got the blessing from Esau, even though Esau is the firstborn, God had chosen to switch those roles. And it was actually the older, Esau, who's going to serve the younger. But Jacob wants to make this clear that I'm taking this posture of humility. So Esau, you can be Lord. He also wants them to point out his great wealth. And so as Jacob and his family are traveling, now I, I brought a, a map to show just for some, some people really enjoy the geography. So the route to Haran would be a lot further up, so it doesn't show all the way up there to Padan Aram where he was with Laban. But that's where he's been, up to the, the top left. And now he's coming back. So he is traveling southwest. He's going toward Bethel. And then the messengers go directly south. So you see where they're going south to Seir. Um, and it's into, this is interesting, a nation that is referred to as Edom. Edom, Edom, Edom. That rings a bell, doesn't it? What is that? Oh, that's the nickname for Esau. 
Remember, he sold his birthright for a bowl of red stew. Edom means red. And so from then on, they gave him this nickname of, hey, red. Remember the time you sold your birthright for the red stew? So this should be the first clue to us, maybe even to Jacob, that Esau has done pretty well for himself. He literally has a country named after him. (laughs) So the country is Edom. Red, nickname for Esau. He's become such a prominent figure that he now has an entire nation that bears his name. And so Jacob and his company reach this place of Jabbok. This is a river, and it's a tributary of the Jordan, and that's when these messengers return. So they've gone south. They've connected with Esau, or at least they've seen him. They come back up to Jacob with this news. We're ready for verse 6. It says, when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming. <laughs> it says, they say, He's coming to meet you. Oh, and there are 400 men who are with him. And so it's no wonder the beginning of verse 7 says, in great fear and distress, Jacob. (laughs) Like he's just been told there's a war party on the move coming directly and swiftly to you. Like the moment he heard you were back, he and his boys mounted up and they're coming. So it says in great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups. The flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that's left might escape. So freak out moment here for Jacob. Ah! Esau's coming! And I don't want to be completely and entirely annihilated and slaughtered. Now, remember, Jacob, he's not a man of war. He's not, he's not a guy who has tactical ideas, but he's shrewd. And so he comes up with this idea of let's just split into two groups That way, when the onslaught begins on one group, maybe, hopefully, by some possibility, the other group could escape. They could, they could run away. Um, so that's his, that's his thinking. And right off the bat, you can see it does not appear that Jacob is walking by faith. Like he's coming home. God has seen him through these, this 20 year journey. He has just recognize the encampment of God, the, the, the heavenly host is there, and yet he is terrified because of Esau and his 400 armed men. The heavenly host is there, and they're going to fight for him. They're going to protect him. They're going to watch over him. There's no reason to be afraid. We know what Romans 8.31 says. If God is for us, who can be against us? And yet, friends, we do the same thing all the time. That the Lord, the Lord is with us. He promises to preserve us, protect us, uh, carry us through. And yet the first sight or, or the first word we get of danger, we freak out. And even though we, we have no business doing so, we start arranging and ordering the things that we think are going to work out. Turns out the worst thing you can do when you're being attacked is to divide. Jacob's plan was the worst plan you could ever uh, concoct. He, he and his family and herds and stuff, they will be way better off if they stay together. But even there, the, the place of protection for them is not in their own devices. It's in that encampment of God who will see them through. When our faith is crowded out by fear, we tend to do the same thing and rely on our own resources, our own abilities. And so it's after he splits the two his, his uh, group, family, livestock, servants, all that, uh, he splits into two groups. It's then that he says, oh yeah, and I think I'll pray. 
And so I want to look at the prayer that Jacob issues here, starting in verse 9. It says, and then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I'll make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. I love this prayer. It, it, it is powerful. And part of what makes it so powerful is when we recognize this prayer comes from a man who is in a state of weakness. It, it, part of what makes this prayer so powerful is that it didn't come from this great and lofty pulpit, from a man who had this tried and true uh, obedience to God and done everything right. Well, of course, he's going to pray an amazing prayer. But it comes from this really weak and lowly and scrappy and, and dysfunctional Jacob. And maybe that's the point. So Jacob, he, he knew God's ability. He knew God's track record. Like he had grown up hearing about it. He heard about it from his dad, Isaac. He heard about it from his grandpa, Abraham. Like, Jacob would have lived to be 15 years old when grandpa died. He had 15 years on the knee of Abraham, his grandpa. So, so he knows what God is capable of. And now he's desperate. Esau is coming. He's terrified. He's done everything he knows to do or can think to do to protect his family. And so he prays. This is the first prayer that Jacob ever prays. Oh, sure, we saw in chapter 28 when he makes a vow. But if you go back and look at that, you notice that it's not a prayer directed to the Lord where he's seeking God and asking God's help. It is a statement that is really made about the Lord. Like he's, He says, if God will be with me on this journey, if God will bring me back to this land, then I'll serve him. I don't really think that that was much of a prayer. But here in Genesis 32, this is a prayer. This is directed to. He addresses God, the, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the one who came to me and said, go back to your home. This is a prayer. And so here's Jacob. He's almost home. And he just, he, it's like, Lord, I, I'm almost there. I just need this one thing. I just need you to spare me from Esau's wrath. And so he prays and he prays earnestly and he prays desperately and he prays passionately and he prays in a way that he reminds God of his promises. He reminds God of God. Here's what you've said. And even though I'm terrified right now, I, I, I'm pleading with you. Come through. Like, why would you faithfully watch over me on this 20 year journey where I went off to Uncle Laban and had all of these exploits in this long 500-mile journey that I made on foot, and then I made it all the way back home. Why would you oversee me and safely bring me to this point only to be killed by my brother Esau when he's ready to exact vengeance upon what I've stolen from him? Like, if Esau attacks and, and lays waste to me and my family, how on earth, O oh God, would your promises be fulfilled? Because you're supposed to be blessing the whole world through the offspring of Abraham. And so you've got to preserve our lives. 
So he prays. But Esau doesn't just miraculously stop and turn around. He presses on. Gulp. (laughs) Esau's still coming. And so Jacob makes another plan. I'm going to try to pacify Esau with gifts. And so he begins to go throughout his, his vast herds and flocks and say, okay, 200 of those, 10 of those, 50 of those. So he's, he's calling out, so it's 580 animals in all, goats and sheep, camels, cattle, donkeys. And then he, he puts them in subgroups that he spaces out. And then as Esau comes, he wants them to one by one encounter his angry brother and they're to tell him, oh, these gifts, they're for you. Oh, oh, Jacob, oh, that lowly, humble servant of yours. Yep, he's coming. He's behind us. <laughs> and so he's hoping that somehow by that sequence of events, Esau rather will soften and maybe lose that bloodthirsty spirit. And then he does one last thing. He makes a dangerous river crossing by night. And that's not the livestock that he's giving away. That's not the servants that he doesn't seem to care much for. But those are his family members and his possessions. And he wants to keep them safe. So let's pick it back up at verse 22. It says, That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants. Now, that's really referring to Bilhah and Zilpah because he had more than, he had a lot of male and female servants. But he's talking specifically about those women who were his wives in one instance, his concubines, they're mentioned, but the mothers of his children. So those four women that have a special place in his home and his 11 sons, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. And so this is one last move to say, I really don't want him to hurt the kids and the, and the wives. And and steal all my valuable stuff. So he puts them, they do this dangerous river crossing. So they're on the other side of the river. Esau and his men would have to then ford the river, cross it in order to get to them. But Jacob himself chooses not to go to the other side of the river with his family and with his possessions. But he stays on this side of the river, the side that Esau is coming toward. So the servants, the herds, the flocks, they've all gone ahead. The wives, the children, the valuables, they've gone back, essentially, over to the other side of the river. And Jacob is all alone. He's all by himself. And remember, he's totally racked with fear and anxiety. And like, Esau's going to get me. Esau's going to get me. Esau's going to wipe out my family. I think it's often in those moments of our solitude. You know, we're stripped of distraction. We're stripped of defense that we encounter God in the most profound ways. So let me just encourage us to build time into our lives, into into your rhythms, your daily rhythm, your weekly rhythm, your annual rhythm, where you turn off the noise, where you get away and and you get alone with God. Because that's what happens here with Jacob. Finally, I mean, he's got... He's got 11 kids. <laughs> well, 12 actually because of Dinah. He's got 12 kids, four wives, lots of livestock. He lived a noisy, busy life. But that night he was all alone. And that's when God met with him. So let's pick it back up here. Verse 24. So this is the portion that Cammy read for us. So Genesis 32:24. it says, So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him 
till daybreak. And when the man saw he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you, unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. We find out that this is God in the form of a man who's wrestling. That God comes to Jacob. He meets him there in that place when he's all alone. When he's filled with terror. Like God had come to him 20 years before and God does it again. One theologian points out that God seems to regularly come to people on their own level, like that he meets them right where they are. So there are several biblical examples that I want to give. Abraham, Genesis chapter 18. It's a passage that we didn't uh, preach through when we did the life of Abraham, but he has visitors who come to him, and they are God in this special way. And you recognize there that Abraham was a sojourner. He was a traveler going through distant lands. And so God meets him as a fellow traveler and sojourner. For Joshua, he's a newly minted army general. And there's this encounter in Joshua chapter 5 where God appears to him as a soldier. And if you think about it, that's exactly what Jesus did for each and every one of us when he came to earth. (laughs) That he came like us. He came breathing air. Blood coursing through his veins. Like he meets us right where we are. Like in our humanity. On our soil. Flesh and blood. Or like, like Jesus himself says in Luke chapter 7. The son of man came eating and drinking. And that's the good news of God's plan of redemption. That he did indeed come through on the promise to bless the whole world through the offspring of Abraham, and it was through Jesus Christ. And so that offer stands today for each and every person who turns to Jesus in faith, that he will save us, that he will rescue us, that that there's no other way to get back to the heart of God, our Heavenly Father, but through Jesus. In fact, if you're here today and you haven't made that decision, I urge you, I implore you, I plead with you, turn to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Today will be the day of salvation. So it's fascinating. We see that played out right here. That God seems to come to us as we are on our level. So the life of Jacob, he spent all of his days wrestling with people. That was, that was, that was what he did. He was wrestling with Esau in the womb. He wrestled with his father, Isaac, as he was tricking him and deceiving him. He wrestled with Laban, his wives, and all of, the, all of the stories there. And to this man, God appears as a wrestler. Oh, you like to struggle? You like to grapple? Let's go. <laughs> Psalm 18 says this of the Lord. To the pure you show yourself pure, but to the devious you show yourself shrewd. We know that Jacob was a shrewd one. So in that place, all alone, fear gripping his heart, uncertainty in his head, Jacob faced the Lord. And we can learn so much from his life as we also long to seek the face of God, 
So God had promised to bless Jacob. From an outward appearance, you and I could say, oh, well, he certainly has. He, Jacob has been duly blessed. Like, he left with the shirt on his back, so he, did, he didn't claim any of the inheritance from Isaac and Rebekah. Nothing in his hand but a staff. But now he's got all these flocks and herds and valuables and, and servants. But you see, God's blessings are so much more than material blessings. Sometimes I think we, we fall into that trap of, of, of kind of using synonymous like wealth and blessing. Oh, I'm really blessed. Well, what does that mean? For the tribe of Levi, when they, when they doled out the inheritance and the land portion, they said, oh, and you guys get nothing. You get the blessedness of having nothing because you're a special tribe. You get to be the ministers. So sometimes God's blessings look like the opposite of wealth and accumulation. It looks like you get special blessings and gifts, non-material. And so Jacob in this wrestling match, this, this man who appears, turn, turns out to be God. And Jacob, we see, is just desperate to get a blessing. He's clinging to the Lord. Like, he might be afraid, but he clings to the Lord. He might have Esau bearing down upon him with his 400 men, but he clings to the Lord. He wanted more than anything else for the blessing of God. But when we cling to the Lord, when we come face to face with God, as Jacob did here, we are forced to admit who we are. So did you notice there that the man asks him, God asks him, what is your name? Was that because God didn't know his name? No, well, God knew his name. So then you say, well, why would God ask a question that he already knows the answer to? Because really what we see happen in the life of Jacob is not only did he face God, but he had to face himself. See, the last time Jacob was asked that question, it was from his father when he was dressed up as Esau. Remember that? He's got the goat skins on his neck and on his hands, and he's got Esau's clothing on, and his mother had made this pot of stew that he was taking into him. The last time Jacob was asked the question, who are you? What is your name? It was the old Isaac with failing eyes who was trying to figure out who is he. Several times in that encounter, Isaac asks him that question, who are you, my son? To which Jacob replied deceitfully, I'm Esau. <clears throat> I'm your firstborn. Who are you? Is it really Esau? You have the scent of Esau, but the voice of Jacob. That's Esau. Mm -hmm. Yep, it's me. See, what the Lord is asking here, when he says to him, what is your name, is... Are you going to continue living up to your name? Are you going to be the heel grasper your whole life? Are you going to admit who you are and allow me to change you? That's why he says, what is your name? And Jacob says, I'm Jacob. I'm the guy who always finds a way to swindle. I'm a guy who you could, the, the truth could be the easier way and I'm going to choose to tell the lie. I'm Jacob. That's who I am. He came face to face with himself. But he didn't leave that same way because God changed him. And God gives him a new name. So verse 28, the man says, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And then Jacob says, please tell me your name. 
And he replied, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. You know who I am. (laughs) You've been asking for a blessing from me. You know who I am. And so here is the blessing. So Jacob will now be Israel, the one who wrestles with God. And and listen, I want to be clear on this. The implication here in the name change is is not that he stands opposed and defiant to God. You know, you might, th- you might think that is like, his name Israel means he wrestles with God. But it, it does not mean he stands opposed to God. It means, rather, that he has allowed the Lord to deal with him. He has allowed the Lord, re- really, he has allowed the Lord to rule over him. For no human can overpower God. <laughs> It's kind of like saying, you wrestle with God. Well, there's no mystery about who won. It was clearly God. Uh, Theologian G. Campbell Morgan says, the best way to understand the name Israel is actually a God-mastered man. A God-mastered man. So no, Jacob did not overpower or defeat God, but he held on, didn't he? (laughs) He would not let go. He was clinging with everything he had in him. He's so tenacious that the Lord has to say, all right, <laughs> oh, you who tends to be shrewd, I'm going to touch your hip. Dis- dislocate is what we understand happened here. Dislocate his hip so that Jacob walks away limping. Yeah, he lost the battle, but he won the victory because he surrendered his life to the Lord. Jacob is now a forever changed man. I love the fact that he walks with a limp. <laughs> You know, it's like this, this beautiful, visible sign of his encounter with God. It's like when we do baptisms, which we're doing next Sunday. It, it is this uh, demonstration, a change has taken place. It's this, this symbolizes something that God has done in your heart and in your life. And so Jacob, every step he took from that day forward was a reminder about his wrestling match with God. And you know, sometimes it's only when we are weak that we are strong. This is certainly the case for Paul in the New Testament. He teaches us about the thorn in his flesh, that he pleaded with God to take away. This is 2 Corinthians 12. And then he says, For Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What a great encouragement for you and I today. That it's in those moments of weakness, it's in those times of, I've been grappling, I've been trying, I've been struggling, and I'm just going to say, okay, God, I'm clinging to you. With whatever energy I have, I'm just going to cling to you. And it's in that place that he empowers us, that he changes us. And so, as the sun rises on that day, so the day that was, that was circled on the calendar, the day of meeting with Esau, it's now here. The sun is dawning on this new day. It's more than just a new day dawning. It's a whole new life. For Jacob, his life has been nothing but dysfunction, problems, hardship, conflict. But now he has come face to face with God. That's what he says then. Verse 30, it says, so Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it's because I saw God face to face. And yet my life was spared. It says, the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. (laughs) And so there's one more meeting that's about to take place. So he came face to face with God. He came face to face with himself. And now he's going to come face to face with Esau. And so chapter 33 tells us about it. I don't think we're going to walk through it verse by verse this morning. But Jacob didn't run from it. He didn't weasel his way out. 
he faced Esau. He looks up and fast approaching is Esau and his band of men. And so what he does is he divides his family into three groups. The first group is Bilhah and Zilpah along with their children, which would have been Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The second group is Leah and her children. Remember, she had six. Reuben, the firstborn, Jacob, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. And the third group was Rachel. And she had one son at this point named Joseph. And so these were Jacob's favorites. Rachel, the one he truly loved. The one he worked for seven years, but it only seemed like a few days. And we'll continue on later in in the year. We're going to continue on with studying through the book of Genesis. We're going to learn a lot more about Joseph. And you remember his amazing colored coat because he was daddy's favorite. I mean, you, (laughs) you just see here, like, he literally marches them out from least important to most (laughs) important. Like, there was no hiding where everyone stood in this family. And so that's how they go. Jacob goes uh, in front of them, though. He doesn't go in the back. He goes in front. And so after 20 years, after hurting Esau so badly, they meet again. And it says that Jacob bows down seven times before him, and Esau rushes him. He comes charging in, but it's not with violence. It's with a hug. Let's look there. So Genesis 33, verse 4. Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. No, he didn't put him in a headlock and, and choke him out. He threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him and they wept. Instead of war, there is peace. Instead of angst, there is joy. Jacob has faced God. He has found reconciliation. Jacob has faced his own identity and embraced it. And now Jacob comes face to face with Esau and he has found peace with his brother. The dysfunction that had marred Jacob and Esau, it's coming undone. And it's a work of God. This relationship that until this point had only been hostile is being healed. And it really, it goes way better than anyone would have ever imagined. Like this, this encounter, Jacob and Esau back together. Esau says he doesn't even want the gifts that Jacob is offering him. Jacob insists. So if we look at verse 10, no, please, says Jacob, if I found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you've received me favorably, please accept the present that was brought to you for God has been gracious to me. Oh, look at that. Jacob is talking about God, the Lord. And I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. So God has brought reconciliation to the life of Jacob. He has met the Lord. He has proven him faithful. And now Jacob is benefiting from a life changed by the Almighty God. He now speaks about the Lord to others. He gives God the glory. And he and Esau, they're going to see each other again. They're going to essentially be neighbors. (laughs) So Jacob then goes to Shechem. And he sets up a camp, and then we'll close with this this morning. It's uh, verse 20 of chapter 33. It says, there he set up an altar, and he called it El Elohi Israel. That means God is the God of Israel. Like, he's been God of Abraham. 
He's been God of Isaac, and now he's God of Jacob, who's now Israel. God is the God of Israel. So friends, we cannot encounter God without undergoing massive transformation. Just like Jacob, we all have dysfunction. It's good for us to admit that. It's good for us to come face to face with ourselves. We have struggles. We even have these wrestling matches with God. And sometimes it's in that place of struggling and wrestling and questioning that we find that transformation, that we find that new identity. So yes, Jacob walked away with a limp, but he also walked away with a new name. This is a new season. It's a new life for him. He is no longer Jacob, the deceiver. He is Israel, the one who wrestles with God. He is a God-mastered man who finds hope, who has reconciliation in relationship with others. You know, it's often in our deepest struggles. It's in those, those places where we wrestle with God and with ourselves that we hear his voice most clearly. It's in those moments where we're most open to his transforming power. God does indeed use our struggles to shape us, to refine us, to teach us, to bring us closer to him. And so this morning, let's embrace those wrestling matches in our own life. We know that God's grace is sufficient, that his power is made perfect in our weakness. Let's take that to heart, church. No matter what you're wrestling with today, remember, God is with you in the struggle. And who knows? You might just come out of it with a new name, a new purpose, a new walk, as Jacob did. Let's pray together. Thank you, Almighty God, for the truth of who you are. We're so inspired by the story of Jacob, a dysfunctional man who encountered you and was transformed. And Lord, we want to position ourselves for the same. So we don't want to hide our fears and our struggles. We don't want to keep the masks on, hiding our identity. But come before you open. Laid bare. Honest. And that in that, Lord, you would speak. You would move. You would have your way. Be the potter, O God, and we are the clay. Mold us, shape us, form us into the people that you want for us to be, that we would indeed carry out the mission of sharing the life-giving power of Jesus with the world. Lord, we pray that you would empower us and equip us for that, that you would be the one who gets the honor and the glory. We pray it all in Jesus' precious name.